Until the rainbow burns the stars out in the sky. Until the ocean covers every mountain high. Until the dolphin flies and parrots live at sea. Until we dream of life and life becomes a dream. Welcome to the Kingless Generation. I'm your host, Fergal Schmudlock. And this is a podcast on the deep history of class struggle, paleo-parapolitics, and the demonology of capital. This time, I have for you an episode entitled, Zen was made up by a guy in Illinois. Now, what could I possibly mean by that? Obviously, Zen is a uh, part of the Japanese... uh, Well, so, you know, saying that right there... I gotta stop myself right there. So that's wrong. Okay. Uh, Zen sort of comes from China. Zen claims, though, no, that's wrong. Zen claims that it comes from India, but no, that's wrong too, because Zen claims that it comes from uh, direct experience of uh, meditation, right? And and sort of the truth of emptiness, right? Uh, non-self and and these other core. Buddhist teachings. Really what we have with Zen is a kind of a fundamentalism. It's a cutting away of earlier traditional accretions and stuff. And that can be illuminating. You know, you get at what are the core truths and principles and and so on. It's good to get back to your principles and rethink those and things. Uh, But then there can be a move, there can be a, a sense of like getting to direct access to truth, which can actually be way more ideological, way more sort of leading you up the garden path than a tradition that just presents itself as a tradition. This is a, right? Um, and Zen, well, the thing is, like, Zen very quickly uh, acquires a very thick tradition. It's actually super traditional, super staid and, and everything. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is a certain kind of modern invention, intervention to... Uh, make it new, and so on. Uh, but one thing we want to look at is how any kind of fundamentalism like that, return to basics, uh, in any tradition, actually is going to be, uh, when you look at it, fulfilling the goals of a very particular person at a very particular time. The guy in Illinois who made up Zen was a part, he was a faithful re- representative of this tradition because it's all about sort of actually creating literary forebears for yourself, all the way back to China. And there's this figure, Bodhidharma, who seems to be maybe half kind of a combination of various people. In one text, there's somebody with that name that supposedly came from Persia. Uh, There's another one. You know, there are all kinds of Sogdians who were involved in bringing kind of Buddhism into China, right? And uh, you might say Mahayana Buddhism, but uh, actually that too is a modern coinage. Everything is a modern coinage. Everything was made up in the 19th century. Everything that you think you know about life before then. It was a great big psyop, right? I was talking with Khalid about this too, right? Like uh, he said this, we got a 19th century pill people understand like how much of what we, our reality was sort of psyoped into us then, right? And peeling back, but before that is is a key thing to do. Uh, Japanese history being no exception. 
and nowhere more than such a quintessentially, supposedly Japanese thing as Zen. So, Suzuki Teitaro is a guy. Uh, he was a student at Tokyo Imperial University, and in the uh, 18, 1880s into 90s, maybe, uh, he makes a couple of visits, really just a couple visits, to a Rinzai Zen temple called Engakuji, where a kind, a certain kind of forward-thinking or somewhere-thinking uh, monk named Shaku So-en, uh, he was very involved with like the Japanese state, and as colonial forces and uh, uh, business forces, right? Kind of big business and uh, and spy networks and. Secret societies, you know, uh, a great place to get this history in English in a podcast is Jimmy Fallon Gong, Programmed to Chill. He's got a great series where he's going through all kinds of uh, parapolitical history, development of capitalism and imperialism and uh, parapolitics in Japan from a leftist perspective, uh, interested in spirituality. Uh, he, he personally is not a specialist, and he doesn't have any Asian language other than English, as far as I know. So there's some moments where he's missing background, maybe, and, and stuff. But it's a great, great way to get sort of the basic content of these books and his own unique perspective on these things. Fantastic stuff. Uh, what I'm going to talk about today comes from... So, uh, Griff Folk, no, it's not Griff Folk, it's Rob Scharf. So, Griff, Griff Folk and Scharf write together a lot. Some of the greatest uh, critical scholars on Zen, right? And uh, there's an article by Scharf. It's called The Zen of Japanese Nationalism. So, just a quick introduction to that. Zen was introduced to Western scholarship not through the efforts of Western Orientalists, but rather through the activities of an elite circle of internationally-minded Japanese intellectuals and globe-trotting Zen priests, whose missionary zeal was often second only to their vexed fascination with Western culture. These Japanese Zen apologists emerged in turn out of the profound social and political turmoil engendered by the rapid Westernization and modernization of Japan in the Meiji period. Given the pedigree of these early Zen missionaries, one might have expected Western scholars of Buddhism to approach their high-minded pronouncements with considerable caution, if not skepticism, but such has rarely been the case. So Buddhism was in great sort of crisis at that time, because Buddhism was, if anything, sort of the, particularly Zen, actually, Zen um, forming a kind of like, kind of secularism, really, for the Edo Tokugawa state, right, the shogunate. Then, like, in the Meiji period, Buddhism, like many things, was uh, discredited, really, if anything. And then uh, people really took seriously the Anglo-American pronouncements about Christianity being the reason why capitalism happened. Uh, Christianity is the reason for modernization. It's the reason why you can have freedom and uh, democracy, right? Even though, you know, as we'll see... Um, I'm f I'm seeing reading the dawn of everything right now, learn about uh, indigenous American philosophers like Candy Arunk. You can trace exactly you know this person talked to this person, this person wrote a letter to this person. Uh, they heard Candy Arunk speak, and uh, you can trace the birth of the idea of freedom, equality, uh, you know, liberté, égalité, fraternité, 
in the West, where nothing like that really existed before. And then they retcon it to attach it to Greece. And something similar is happening here with... Uh, with Zen and with a lot of uh, things, you know. It, so what uh, Scharf actually says here is is important to realize. Like it's it's striking that they really like people in the West really kind of bought this in a way that they don't really buy. I mean, they do kind. Of, <laughs> do they buy Candy Ronks? They they buy his ideas, but they don't credit them to him in any kind of way, right? And and this is the core of what all of these thinkers who are you know, I will say now, Nihonjinronists. They're the fathers of Nihonjinron. Nihonjinron is the the theory of Japaneseness, right? Japanism. Uh, Japanism. The core of it is really arguing for a certain kind of honorary whiteness for Japan. I argue that's what it really is, right? In a world where the Anglo-American dominance and, and white was defining uh, white supremacy and dividing up the world between uh, white countries that would be owners of capital that would have bourgeoisies uh, in part, and then colored countries, colored nations, and pagan, and also pagan nations. There's, Christianity is still identified with this in a kind of crusader. There's a vestigial crusader thing. And a lot of Japanese really go on this tip, like, oh, we need to find a Christianity, right? The Shintoist Okuni Takamasa. Uh, Shinto is continuing to sort of uh, manifest as a separate religion, right? And this is also the time when everybody's sort of like, what is your Christianity? And that's when the idea of religion is being born on the model of Christianity. And there's a sense in some quarters that you maybe need to have a national religion, right? And Okuni Takamasa sort of says, uh, yeah, Christianity is, is like an okay religion, but it's not good for us. Uh, but actually, uh, you know, Amaterasu created uh, Jesus and, and the Hebrew God and everything. So actually, that's the one true religion. Maybe someday, actually, that religion will spread around the world um, and all this. So there's the, all these moves to try to do something about the perceived supremacy of whiteness and the perceived supremacy of Christianity as the religion of capitalism, right? Uh, and that image of the religion of capitalism goes right through to the post-war. General Douglas MacArthur in the post-war uh, brought, I've mentioned this on the podcast, haven't I? He brought just showers of uh, American missionaries over with their expensive American cars and built them American houses and everything with all this money that uh, could have been used to save all these starving children. And he founded International Christian University, which uh, went on to, you know, it doesn't necessarily create a lot of Christians, but it does create a lot of sort of Japan-American kind of figures and operatives who go back and forth between the two countries. And uh, the, his aim was to Christianize Japan finally, once and for all, uh, to keep it from going red, because Christianity... In his mind, he's like a mainline Protestant, I think, of some kind. But he, in his mind, that was the ultimate uh, anti-communist religion. Maybe because it's individualistic, you know, individual souls and so on. And like that's private property goes with that somehow. It, it is, maybe it is still vestigially a kind of common sense in America. I've been out of America for a long time. So um, to me, I can look back and be like, oh, yeah, that's, isn't that weird? 
that he thinks that right on through right christianity is supposedly like sort of the reason for the success of the west right and the reason not the success like the technological development and capitalism and and everything uh also for liberal ideals like freedom and democracy as well um even though those again those liberal ideals you can trace them coming from american indigenous societies actually uh and things like them existed in islamic society before mandatory redistributive policies at the moment of inheritance you have uh alms giving as one of the pillars of islam obviously but uh latin christendom is a poor poor source for that in world history right so nevertheless the the mission of japan then is to sort of prove and you know in, in a way fair fox to them you know they they were able to do something pull off quite a heist there quite a act of chutzpah even if of course it had its uh, many victims across east asia and across the world and no doubt uh next it'll be somalia and djibouti and other places where the japanese army is active currently uh they listen to my podcast apparently thanks thanks for listening by the way shout out to you if you're listening uh from the uh jsdf base in the horn of africa but yeah on a certain level you got to respect the hustle a little bit here. Particularly this fucking guy, Suzuki Teitaro, uh, who's known by, later by his Buddhist sobriquet, Daisets. And then in English, he tends to go by D.T. Suzuki later in his life. Uh, but as I mentioned, okay, so I'm going to come out and say the guy in Illinois, there's, there's actually a couple guys in Illinois. So what happened is um, Shaku Soen, you know, is this very kind of deep state connected uh, monk who uniquely, uh, okay, not typically for, in this climate of kind of repression, not exactly repression of Buddhism, but abandonment of, of, any, of state support for Buddhism uh, and the need to develop a, a new Buddhism for modernity and so on. Um, Zen is, is way behind if anything, because, you know, it doesn't have, like, the personal god. It doesn't have, like, uh, um, it has a strong monastic rule, and it has a strong kind of idea of discipline and, and inculcating discipline, particularly the Soto school, right? The Soto school is much more active in the countryside among the peasants. You know, you can see a lot of social value there. But it wasn't the kind of social value that was in vogue at the time, which... So, you know, they had some ground, some, they had to catch up, some catching up to do. And Shaku Soen was this kind of forward-thinking guy who was inviting a lot of lay people to Engakuji, his temple. And he's preaching a kind of pro-imperialist, pro-capitalist, pro-war, pro-modernization liberalism that he claims to derive from Zen. You know, standard stuff. And they created, actually, a Kojirin, a, a layman's a hall where I have been to meditate uh, more times than I remember. I don't remember how many times I've been there, so it's probably more than five, just for, like, the most basic kind of introductory short meditation session and, like, have tea in the tea house up on the mountain and stuff, you know, just really touristy. But guess what? Guess who that makes me a more accomplished Zen practitioner than? DT fucking Suzuki. In 1895, when he discovered, he had, he had spent, you know, a couple days maybe total 
at uh, Engakuji, and he was highly thought of by Shaku Soen, and that's why Shaku Soen was able to put him in touch with his favorite religious writer in Illinois, in LaSalle, Illinois, who was a German-American, born in Germany and immigrated to America, named Paul Karus. And he went to live with Paul Karus for 11 years. He got to know Paul Karus' whole social circle and network and go all around San Francisco. He visited New Haven. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, he went through across Europe as well on Polkaris's dime uh, as an employee of Polkaris's publishing house. And he gets back to Japan and his connections in America get him instantly connected with uh, the, Jap- the authorities, as he puts it in a letter. Um, and right there from that moment on, he is the DT Suzuki of history. This has been a sample of a premium episode of The Kingless Generation. You can become a member of The Kingless Generation for the low price of 333 and you get access to the Discord server where we discuss all kinds of physical, intellectual, spiritual, social uh, forms of organizing and building The Kingless Generation uh, with reference to all kinds of knowledge about different times and places, different relations of production and different cultures uh, from the past. And uh, I hope you'll join us on our journey there. Go to patreon.com slash irregnata, I believe is the address. You can just search for the kingless generation on there. I hope I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening.